my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hailing from Peckham, a district in Southeast London, J.J. Revlon is a Renaissance diva extraordinaire whose talents cross several different fields of entertainment. As an international DJ, he's brought his unique mix of house, Afro house, classics, and ballroom beats to venues like Rent Self Femme, Fabric, the Royal Academy, National Portrait, and other locales. JJ is also a frequent collaborator with LGBTQ plus artists like American DJ and producer Honey Dijon and the British band Years and Years, which is led by singer and actor Ali Alexander. As an early influencer in London's ballroom scene, JJ is instrumental in helping to define how the awesomeness of ballroom in the UK is done. One of the ways in which he does this is by being father of the UK House of Revlon and the founder of the Kiki House of Tea. When JJ is not making the world a more fabulous place, he's out in the community as a committed activist, dedicating his time to creating a safe spaces for the LGBTQ plus community and queer people of color. This includes being a volunteer, peer-to-peer -peer mentor at Stonewall Housing, the UK's leading national charity, quote, supporting LGBTQ plus people of all ages who live in the UK and are experiencing homelessness or living in an unsafe environment, end quote. Despite being a young talent, JJ Revlon is a legend, and I'm honored he's taken time out of his schedule to speak with me here on Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, and I look forward to learning more about him and his journey as a multifaceted Black gay entrepreneur. Welcome. Hey, you said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. Like, I always think about stuff that I want to do in my house. This is the first time I've ever lived alone. Uh -huh. But that just has to be written somewhere in this house. Oh, like on some sort of like italic font framed. Oh my gosh. I love that. Like when people do research about me, it never goes this deep. Listen to you speak, I'm literally like, oh yeah, I did that. Which I never really like sit and think about. That's a very good intro, FYI. Okay. Now I'm getting that shit framed. I'm going to get one of my people to like do some sort of font in around it. That really like... It's a very good sum up of my life up to now, hmm. which I didn't think I needed to hear. And so it's unexpectedly hearing something like this is like, kind of re-put the pin in that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm going down my right lane. It takes someone who might not know you or know somewhat of your work to say something like this. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to unexpectedly be of service. <laughs> Literally. I told you I'm really sweating like a hoe in church. But yeah, there was a little bit of a church moment for me that I'm like, oh, shit. It's harder recognizing it from your own eye. Well, I would imagine as a business person, as an entrepreneur, as all of the things that I've listed, that you're just constantly grinding. So yeah. to have a moment to really revel in your work and in your accomplishments is a good thing. Yeah, I hardly do. My thing of reveling in my own accomplishments is buying a bag i'm addicted to bags okay there you go i love bags <laughs> i don't know why do you have a favorite designer 
Not really, you know. I just like a good bag. To me, I buy too many Telfers. Mm-hmm. I just like how they come in different colours. I don't care if it's like a designer or not a designer. I care about like a nice functioning bag. Because when I buy a bag, I stuff everything in it. So you're like a good tester for these brands. Maybe I should start a TikTok that talks about testing bags. There you go. <laughs> and get them for free. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, wanted to hit record as soon as possible because I right away was like, okay, I like your vibe. And I just like the uh, conversation, how it started so quickly. And so for me, comfortably. But you mentioned before the recording that you're in Spain. Yes, I moved a couple of years ago, about three years. Mm-hmm. I always say it's a good reason, but it's also quite sad. My granddad was dying from cancer. I had this opportunity where I was like, I don't know if I should go to Berlin because I feel like what's going to happen is he's going to die. And I'm going to have to be like, kind of by myself. I wasn't by myself. I had hella support, but I was just nervous. My mom was like, go. Mm-hmm. Your granddad will want you to go. You should go. But I in the shower. Then my friend gave me my phone and she was like, your mom called. So she's calling me. She's bawling. It's her dad. You get it. This is 1.30. I have to host a ball six till whenever. Mm-hmm. One of my probably saddest points in my life, but the most eye-opening. I'm in a different country. My granddad died. I then started thinking about, I've never lived in a different country. I lived outside my mom's house for a year with her ex, but I never moved countries. I know that like what the white people would do. I don't think it's very black of us to be like, we're going to go and live in Australia. I don't feel like that is a really my known Black experience. <laughs> my known Black experience is not even going to a holiday in Europe. My Black experience is going to a holiday in Jamaica. Okay. Europe was never even a conversation. So in that moment, like, I had to just go and host this ball. No one knew, FYI, except for, like, a couple of my kids, and my good friend, Sophie, who I'm staying with, this is really me. I'm going to be the blackest, probably, one that you have on this. I'm just like, hey, we're talking about fried chicken. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's a place, right, in Berlin called Riza. Uh-huh. So she had all this Riza spread. She was like, this is for you. Like, it was so supportive. And it was great and amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, there was this bar thing that I just, I fit underneath. And I knew that it would be too loud for people to hear me crying. So I would, like... Get the break, go under there, cry, come out. And then by the end, she made me tell everyone. And then I opened Pandora's box. I said to myself that I'm going to go back to the UK. I'm going to be the person that will organize my grandma's funeral. This is going to be my responsibility. I said, I'm going to do that and I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. Time to leave for six months. Get my shit together. Mentally. Everybody up was for me to move with my ex-partner. They had a job and I could just live for five months, six months, no issue. I saved just enough. Uh, me and my ex broke up and I'm living independent and looking after myself. And yeah, it's just great. If it wasn't for my grandma passing, to be honest, I don't think I would have been able to have done this. What about you? Like you're in um, Sweden. You know, the cleanest water I've ever had in my life. That's very clean. Sounds like you were really close to your granddad. You mentioned he was part of the reason why you decided to leave the UK. Why is that? 
I think it was that whole growing up black. Uh. It was just this fact of like my family, they came to the UK and the only place they've been to is like Jamaica. I see. Okay. I don't mean they ever been to Spain or stuff like this. I don't know. You just start to piece shit together and go, my mum's adventurous and my grandparents were just making a life for themselves. They still had the funds to go to Jamaica like every year. They could have lived there if they wanted to, but they chose to give their life to the UK. But I want to make a path of my own. And I feel like the only way of me moving out of my mum's house is to move whole countries. By this point, I've been to Barcelona twice, three times. I've been to Malaga. I also took my mum to Malaga. I've been to Paris a whole bunch of times and Germany a whole bunch of times, like Berlin and Hamburg specifically. You know, and somebody just said to me, like, go to Barcelona for six months. And then the pandemic happened. Moving in the pandemic was not going to be me, boy. I was like, I will sit this one out. So I stayed inside and I'm still here. Three years later. Three years later. Well, it's interesting because you're from the UK and it's surprising, but at the same time, it's not surprising. It's a reminder of the similarities of Black people. In general, because when you say not traveling, it's the same in the States where Black folks there usually go to the Caribbean. Yeah. Like me being in Europe is still people asking, are there other Black people there? It's like, of course there are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spain is just different from London. Also, I don't want to live to work and work to live. Hmm. I'm a person that lives like I'm a comfortable person. Like a housewife. Well, housewives also work hard. Like, I'm talking about real housewives. It's my means of pastime in terms of, like, slowing my brain down is to watch white women argue about being friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's weird. But, like, living here is like, I live here. Most people, generally speaking, don't have this ethos that we can have a good work-life balance. Hmm. I worked in a lovely place called Apple once upon a time, which paid you hella money and you would probably quit your whole career just to work there. They pay well. It taught me that I could have what I wanted. This was in the first interview, I think, or the second interview. Who cannot work a Saturday? Me. I can't work a Saturday. In retail, that is not heard of. But when they granted that, I just said, you know what? Whatever I want in life, I have to ask for, <laughs> you know? What people don't understand is that you can live in another country and still do your job. Just ask. I'm a strong believer in that. Also a strong believer in money will come. Learning what I've learned throughout growing up through my life, seeing my grandparents' lives, seeing my mom, stuff like this. I don't feel like savings gives anything to anybody but security and security that they're not even going to use to help themselves grow as people. Being comfortable in the UK, working and living and living and working is not my thing. Okay. As much as I have to fly into the UK, I would rather that. Because I see this place as home. There's a lot of shit that's wrong with Spain. There's a lot of shit that's wrong with Barcelona. True, I chose to live here. That's my peace. Yeah. But I can't live in the UK where it's constant Russell and Boston. People say Russell and Boston in terms of like, oh, it's so busy. My thing is that the rent is shit high. I think my rent's like 800. I have a one bed. As you see, the direct sun all day. But in the UK, I would get a matchbox, a sardine box <laughs> for that kind of price or even more. I want the life I want to live or a life that is going to be me working until I'm 80, complaining every day on how unhappy I am. Mm. You can live somewhere and work somewhere else. Yeah. 
especially in this moment where everything's starting to become more digital, I honestly feel like we have to be more honest with what we want in our life because what's the point having a life that we're going to complain about every day? No, I agree. I agree. You have to do shit for yourself. You are a person definitely in your work and, and just hearing you share right now that is committed to finding your purpose and your peace and your authenticity. Yeah. How did this evolve into you having a career as a DJ? Do you know what? That's a funny one because I used to DJ back in the day when I was like 14 or so. Uh-huh. What happened was I just kind of like didn't really do it anymore. I like put it all down. I didn't really want to do it anymore. I got in a lot of articles at the time written about me and I had a really good friend of mine. But back in the day, like we had one article written where it said JJ and his team, you know, and it wasn't a team thing. It was a collective, like we were together. So I understood the issue, but with articles was so hard is that they just write what the fuck they want. They don't check. They write the shit and keep it pushing. So we went into back and forth. I was like, I will DJ and you do the mic work. So you're at the forefront. So we're switching our role and I'm going to learn and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get back into this bitch and like maybe start playing again and let's practice together. Let's DJ together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just spiraled. It just fucking spiraled out of the universe. Like I do not even understand how I end up being, um, be able to do half the shit I do. In all honesty, like I just play because I love music. I didn't have this whole background where it's like, I love music all my life. Actually, I kind of did. <laughs> I actually did was in the gospel choir at one point in life. Yeah, it just creeped up. I bought a controller. I started DJing. I got offered gigs. I did gigs. I got offered to do guest mixes, radio. I started doing my own mixes. I wanted to do a night that was different from what was out there. I wanted to do a night so it's not like a thing where you're going to be, where you have to vogue. I wanted to put new DJs on. I wanted a thing that was going to be more community focused. Everything comes back to that, to be honest. I wanted something that was going to be like head over heels in the community, set bases, foot trenched, planted into the community. I just want like all the LGBT people to be together, especially off color. My mom does the door of my parties. Oh, she does. Your mom. I just heard that. It just really hit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For every ball I've put on from the beginning to every party I have done, my mom does the door. If I could fly my mom to Barcelona, like I probably the hell would. It's important for me is that people see a black mother gave birth to her black gay son. You know, for my mom to see a category like sex era where everyone's ain't got no clothes on. You know, she wasn't used to that. How was that for her, adjusting? That's the thing. She's not a big old Christian woman. She was still like, what in the hell is this? Because she couldn't come inside because she had to do the door. So I made sure there was an Instagram live or Facebook live at the time. She's like, why am I looking on Instagram and I'm seeing people's titties and vaginas? I was like, it is what it is. But in the end, she's fine. Like, she's fine. It was never really an issue my mom. Like, never really. My mom is my fucking everything. I would say I'm privileged and all those words, like I'm lucky. I'm showing like the chosen family side, but my chosen family side still includes my mom. You're an example with having her there, but she's an example for other parents to say, you know, this is your child. Love your child unconditionally. Yeah, she said that, you know, I had the opportunity to do a documentary BBC radio. It's on Mixed Cloud. And she spoke about that, you know. 
my mum works in housing for Southwark. Like she's worked in housing like my whole life. And anytime I need any advice about housing, I would call her. Housing for other people. And I would have my ex-boyfriend, not the one I came to Spain with, but previous one, shout out Snowflake. He works in HR. I always have these kind of accesses. Again, comes back to community, but that's what's important. The fact is that she's so interested. She was asking pronouns before I even understood what they were. She like was so forward. I was like, oh, like, am I behind? <laughs> you know? Hearing you share about your mom and your grandparents, you were pretty much set up to, in my opinion, do what you're doing with DJing. That's a community, but you with being in the ballroom scene and then being a father of a house, you had these examples in your life. Seems like it just was a natural progression for you. How did you get into the ballroom scene? Basically, I just used to watch it on YouTube. Okay. That's how I kind of found it, like through the internet. I was watching Alora and thinking there was Laomi and vice versa. And I mimicked and stuff like this. But I also have to shout out like a couple other people who taught me the shit that I know now and why I'm even so community level-headed. My aunt who really looked after me, cursed like she never did before. I don't know. I found a normality of like, not throughout cursing, but cursing in a way that's no like malice to it. I understood the differences. And also my best friend, Leanne Perro, who is the HBIC. If anyone knows what that means, that's head bitch in charge of community for me. She's a person that I was doing dance classes for 50p back in the day. That's like 35 cents. Those things are big things. How I learned about ballroom is through YouTube, but how I really learned about it is by being in it. Okay. I didn't see the people who looked like me in those events. I didn't see... Why I saw on YouTube, I didn't see anything like this. I battled at this one event that was ballroom, battled my house father, now house father Vinny, Vinny Revlon, legendary Vinny Revlon. He is one of the reasons why I'm in the house. And also, I think it's also understanding language. I feel like ballroom language can be taken out of context in so many ways but for me that's also what made me be so interested in it like the reclaiming of being called like a fag that was a whole big reclaim in ballroom like we have categories called fag out being called a cunt in the uk is like <gasps> you know <laughs> it's like jesus christ we have cunty and that being a performance like i have cunty tied to the back of my leg mm-hmm. Where my aunt would use this language in the house and my grandma would go in on her, you know, Caribbean. When I got into boring, that made me really understand like this language is like a language of love. Right, right, right. I feel like in boring, that's the first thing people can't handle when it comes to coming into the scene. It's like, pussy, cunt, bitch. We used to be called pussies in the street back in the day. This shit like just makes me just more in awe. And then the more I was in awe of it and the more I did shit, the more I started bringing people into my house. Before I joined Revlon, I joined this other house. It was kind of like halfway house. It was in a time where I really needed it. That's how I opened Kiki House of Tea, but it's been recently closed. Mm. So shout out to all my kids for sticking with me for how long they did. Because all great things come to an end, I always say. I just wasn't seeing like a big sense of community. So I just carried on like doing what I wanted to do and mimicking what I saw in the US. And then when I went to Paris, that's when the big eye opener came and I was JJ Revlon. My little new fresh dreads. My dread journey always has a lot of 
in my growth within the scene and in life. Yeah, I've seen a lot of like in-body, out-of-body, learning, unlearning, packing, repacking, all the keywords that the girls like to use. I was really like tapping into a lot of myself. More people in my city needing a space to elevate and find themselves. I've said this before, when I vogue, the milliseconds between me lifting a weight in the gym and voguing are those milliseconds of me like really clearing my brain. And that's a big thing for me is that if you're going to come into this and I'm going to give you all of me in the words of John Legend, I need you to give me all of you. People just want the fun, glitz and glamour. You don't understand that how much of someone's life this is actually like helping towards. It sounds like you're encouraging people to think of more than the external or what we see. 100%. Like Broom Cat Cat is all great and good and Shawam and you know it's a dip not a death drop so let the girls know that also here you have to think of it externally and outside of your own body experience right make a cute video yeah there's a reason behind all this movement there's a reason why it exists in the first place I'm not a big bitch on history but understanding one percent of the history of the scene will make you understand that people don't just do this because it's just fun them dips are not always fun Mm -hmm. especially when you hurt your back it's not just balletic or dance, you know? And I started with whacking before Vogan. What was the scene like in the UK before you got involved in it? White. Oh, really? Yeah, white as hell, child. It came as performance back in the day, like 2006, with uh, Les Child. And, you know, it moved on to, like, Harley, this person of colour, who was really doing shit. First person I saw performing one of the reasons why I fell in love with the movement. It was just something about this bitch that just made me be like, oh. But also, basically, we just moved into a way that it kind of died and then it became very white and Uh, not really in a competition form and nothing like this. And then I was like, this is some bullshit. I'm going to make a ball. I got super wrong in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And what I also learned is that I know my shit. I don't know why I... Second guess myself. At that point, I knew like what I was doing wasn't right. I had a lot of bitches doubt me. Mm. Ask me why I'm here, what am I doing? This that and the other. Now they've seen the work I've done and reason why anyone can even get into any sort of cultural space now is because of me. No one could actually deny that, you know. Les Child built the premise for people to see ballroom and then Harley brought it into a context where it became competition then you also had other people within this actually that I've nearly forgot who used to do club nights called Carabana and they were Celeste she used to do a lot of stuff to do with bringing them into the scene as it is now for black people to see vogas and this kind of competition I've once again wrong other people have tried and failed and I've been the most consistent I would say built lanes for people within my scene to go off of. Hearing that it was mostly white because I came across on your site, a write-up on the Men of Color Society, and you mentioned in there about uh, using urban. Is that kind of connected to that? You know, we have to label this event because there's people of color. People do frame it now as like LGBTQIA, blah, 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 like the whole acronym, which for me is okay. But yeah, no, I don't really like words like this. I'm just like, I'm doing a verbal, and that's just the end of that. Okay. 
my shit is always OTA. It's always open to all. It's always open for everyone. And I work like that in every space. It's not just if I do party with my own bag or it's a little community situation. I'm doing a party at the end of the month, the 30th of September 2022 in Soho House in Barcelona. And the first thing I said to her is, do you think I'm going to do a party here in this place? Which I'm not against the Soho House. I'm not. I've got a membership. What is it? Soho House is a members club. They try to do a lot of work that is quite like open, but people feel like it can be quite elitist because it's expensive as a membership per year. My thing is, is that I want to be in those spaces to disrupt, to tell the truth. I done so much for them beforehand. I was like, I want a membership. I get it. People are there, they're like on their laptops, you know, you only can use your phone in a certain area. You know, we're not distressing people's workflow. And, you know, after work, you like go up to the roof, you have like drinks. That's the kind of vibe it gives. I see. Okay. So when she wanted me to do this, I said, I will, but this is my terms. You are giving me a guest list. I want people from the street. And I'm not disrupting like a way that's, I'm working my way. My thing is that you ask me to do a party. I'm going to show you what a party should look like in this establishment. Because all people want to do is sit down and chat. I'm a person that wants a mic on my DJ day. When I DJed in the Soho House in Brighton, I was supposed to be a Pride edition. I told everyone to stand the fuck up. <laughs> so it's about the energy. This is not your space. <laughs> you are on my frequency. I'm not a background DJ. Mm. Don't do house music at three o'clock in the rooftop where everyone's having drinks and kumbaya moments. I'm not background. I am forefront. And I never want people to come into my space feeling like they have to be prima proper and hold their hands together. And, you know, I did a show where I told everyone, like, make sure you make noise. This is not a theatre show. This is not sit down, keep my mouth quiet. Because when I saw The Colour Purple in New York with my mum, and this black ladies were behind me, giving it the got got. And I know they seem color purple like 70 times, you know, <laughs> every Christmas, every Easter, every birthday. They knew it was about to happen. So they were giving like back end commentary. <laughs> like, don't go with her. He hates her. Kill him. Like on Broadway, screaming their head off. Yeah. I loved it. That's how I want you to be. You're coming to an energy of something that you don't understand, you don't know. It's very new. Like, come on. So like an interactive experience. Just be normal. I can't. I'm like a person that is about people coming together and getting to know each other. And you might come from different walks of life, but you say hello to each other, you interact. That's how I am. So my thing is also about how do we get people who feel like these spaces are elitist or pretentious? How do we get ourselves into those spaces to have a good time? Hmm. How do I make it as accessible as possible for those people? Sounds like encouraging everyone, just be yourself. Yeah, and then also encouraging members to understand that you are asking someone who's a community spearheader to partake in an event in your space. You're going to have to work at it from my angle and my eye not from your own, because you think I should be grateful for a job. In all honesty, I'm grateful for everything I've ever done in my entire life. But I will never let someone dictate how I manoeuvre in any walk of life. Mm. 
I've had this. You ask me to teach a workshop. You ask me to change the music. I won't change the music. You ask me to teach the workshop. If you tell me I can't use can't, can't, because you can't, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Someone actually said to me, it's a bit too urban. And I went off typing crazy <laughs> on the email, you know, in the middle of the sea, because I was on the cruise at the time, uh-huh. shooting something else. I feel like I set the premise for everyone that comes behind me because what's going to happen if Sir House again want to do something maybe with somebody else, they say, oh, we had JJ. Anyone can ask me why I got paid. What was your guest list list? You can ask me whatever. Or if you want me to come in and fight for you, I will. I read something about how we're getting into an era where people who work nine to fives or just get a job don't see the importance anymore of why into having to keep a job that you don't like. So they will accept a job and then they'll have to start in two weeks and the onboarding is about to happen. And they go, actually, I'm, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I've heard friends of mine do it. I feel like this is how we have to like unbreak the mind is how are we going to keep conversations open and how are you going to keep culture within your space that like people feel like it's elitist? Because I feel like a space should be for everyone. I really do. I put my foot in this door to make sure I can make something for the masses and create much more of a community focus. You know, as soon as I got that membership and I could log in on the app, I started adding bare black people because I want to be able to speak to every black person within these houses across the world. When I tell you it's so important to me that people connect on a like new real level and especially in these spaces and bring more people who are like us in spaces like this, it's just going to make it much more of a community, you know? Two days ago, I was there there are these DJs from the UK. It was all great and good. I ended up meeting Vanessa from the Saturdays. A huge band in the UK. Got put together by Sam and Carl and X Factor. She was huge. Mm-hmm. It was so crazy to be in this space. So I was like, hey, girl. I feel like there should never be a gap between somebody and somebody else. Before we recorded, but you were like, yeah, I heard about you. And like, you're famous. And people say this to me. A lot. And I don't compare fame and also I'm Adele. I'm so anti-fame, it's crazy. But I've been in that experience where someone's come to me and been like, oh my God, you are X, Y, Z. And I was like, come chill. Want a drink? Be my friend. (laughs) You know? Well, when I mentioned that, because when I first started this platform, I had a couple of people that I interviewed and they're like, do you know JJ? And I said, no. And so I started following you pretty much right away would periodically check your content. But it's interesting to hear, yeah, because I can see that now more clearly that you are very much about community and involvement. And I like that you said making the spaces more open for people. But with you, because it's very easy with your success as a DJ and, and being in the ballroom culture, just to do that, how did you get involved in community activism? I never call myself an activist. I just am active. I mean, by existing and by me existing, like how I dress and stuff, like over here, I'm like crop top, high shorts. But in London, I'm dressed differently. One, because it's cold. But two, like you get different looks. I could wear a wig in the street. No one gives a fuck. In Spain. In Spain. But so they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, look at the baby hairs. I did this myself. This is a proud, joyous moment on my head right now. <laughs> But in London, you get like looks and side eyes and stuff like this. I wouldn't say I'm 100% authentic. I'm on my way. Okay. Yeah, I'm on my way. I feel like I'm 90% there. That's pretty good. And I think it started really movement factory. When I started dancing back in the day, just doing after school dance, it was Leanne. 
seeing that and seeing like the shit she's gone through in terms of like struggling for funds to support it and like funding applications and me being the representative of being the person who talks on behalf of the movement factory and being a person who was involved in the name changing because it used to be called Brackout and I would never let her live this down, but it was actually called Brackout, B-U-R-K-O-U-T. Mm-hmm. And all its Jamaican sense, Caribbean sense, that's what it was giving. Yeah, from her, really. Community, that's where it kind of came from and it just continued. I mean, the more people I see in a space of confusion or a space that they don't know if they should be in or where you see another black person in a festival of white people. Like when I went to Budapest, I saw these two girls in the crowd. I went up to every black person I could see and I said, hello. That's good. In the UK, why I went to create a space that is more led in terms of a real boring way is because it was too white. When I went to Paris, that's what I saw. So that's what I did. And I wanted a space actually in the UK that was actually open to all. I didn't want it to be specifically Black and LGBT. I just wanted it for people who needed it. Coming to Spain is different. I feel like you need spaces that are like literally predominantly Black and Black only. Why is that? We have one club night that is kind of like a mix. It's not straight, but it's not gay. But we don't have like a Black night. Like I grew up with Bootylicious and Carabana and Hustlers versus Divas and uh, work at Hidden and you know I came up with a lot of POC parties but they don't have that here it's for like people are not ready and I also feel like even for the black people to come out or black gay people to come out that's also going to be hard so you're like a trailblazer in Spain it sounds like well I'm all about helping the youth so the youth here who vogue and stuff I had access to a studio. I still have the same access to a studio, but I have access to a studio where we end up just practicing. And I'm like helping them, you know? I'm a facilitator. Yeah, I came to Barcelona and I said, this is not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to create another scene. I didn't want to be a blueprint. I'm trying to take myself out. Mm. I'm just trying to facilitate. I think that's my thing. Overall costing is that I facilitate. I see. I don't want nothing out of it. I want to be paid for the work I do from these corporations and brands and shit. But in terms of for my community, I don't really want nothing. I want everyone to have a good time. I just want to see something that I can just talk about. I'm happy that people see me in this light of a person who has helped the scene and done this and done that and like what you have brought up in terms of like your findings of me. But I didn't do any of this for that. Like I really just did what I thought was right. Community comes out of how I've been brought up in terms of like how I was able to learn to dance. I used to volunteer to teach dance and shit like this. It's good to hear like somebody in your position of influence, this commitment to just helping people, making sure that you're okay, but through being okay with yourself, using that energy to help others. Be who you want to see. I say that a lot. That's a t-shirt. Okay. (laughs) Especially with creating spaces, that's the same premise you should have. You should start by doing that. If a child sees me in the street, okay, and they see my nails, which they have multitudes of times, and they look at it and they go, oh, my God, look, that man has nails. Somewhere down the line, they're going to think that having nails as male presented or otherwise is okay. If they see me in a wig with a beard, like, what's the difference, you know? 
if you do your history around Uggs, which are originally made for men, heels, which are really made for horse riders. Like, I'm not a person that's going to sit here and tell you the whole history of fashion, what was boys and what was girls. But for me, it's just like, yeah, be who you want to see. Same with the space. I went the ball that showed competition and this and the other. And I made that space. And what do the spaces that everybody else wants to see now is the same similar space, which is the premise of the fucking history of the whole fucking culture hmm. that got lost somewhere in the shadow of death. When you say that, I have a cousin in New York. She's very um, upfront about the history of Black people, wherever we're from. And she has a T-shirt that says, they want our rhythm, but not our blues. Okay. This is why I ask questions that people might think is really intrusive. I feel like I'm not doing my job as a person who's supposed to be like a gatekeeper of the scene. And I'm not doing my job as a person that is supposed to keep LGBT people safe. I have to ask hard questions. And if you're not LGBT, you know there's a conversation coming about you coming to class or you being in this space and what it means for you, which is different for me. Right. I have conversations with a lot of white people. I'm in the land of the Blanco, okay? <laughs> There's hella black people here, FYI. So I do have conversations with white people and be like, this is why you think it's hard for you. We're not making this space accessible to you. We're making this space accessible to people like us. You have to set examples for people to see it, for them to turn around and go, oh, I get it, or to question it, and then for them to be read. Or to have an open discussion and talk honestly about stuff. You said intrusive questions. I think it just encourages people to go through their own process. I come from a land where demureship and passive aggressiveness wins over direct honesty and straight up talking. New York, direct as fuck, borderline offensive. (laughs) But you know what they're thinking. (laughs) And what I love about Borem you really have to build a thick skin. If you don't, you're going to be crazy. You know, you're going to be like, why me? Borum is not an easy place at all. Mm-hmm. It teaches you that you can't always have it your way. There are hella rules to follow. It's super annoying and sometimes disrespectful that I can't walk somewhere because I am this, that, or the other. But this is also real life. At least in Borum, they say it to you to your face. You might not get your tens because, I don't know, you're walking a category like sex siren and you got hairy armpits or hairy legs or it, it called for something and it wasn't something else. At least in Boromir, it tells you right to your face. Definitely given me motivation to learn more about the culture from a historical standpoint and also yeah. just some of the stuff you shared just for my own personal enrichment. <laughs> I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Where can we interact with you online? Everywhere. Please DM me. I'm a bitch that replies. I feel like people should always be accessible. A couple of likes and interactions goes a long way. So it's J-A-Y-J-A-Y-R-E-V-L-O-N. That's on everything. You mentioned about the use of curse words and the artistry of it. That's what I got from it. And it's interesting what you have in that poster pulp fiction in the background because samuel jackson cursing is an art form for him yeah he makes it sound cool and like oh i wish i could curse like that (laughs) yeah you gotta get out i don't think you should be able to swear when you are like six years old and tell your mom to fuck off that is not okay but i definitely think in terms of ways of expression especially when you get older 
you're going to use them. I don't think parents should condemn their children so hard. Instead of condemning, why not educate? Right. All about intent. All about intent. I don't condemn anyone. I just educate. My thing is be more honest, keep community together by having honest conversations and never feel like your voice shouldn't be heard. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>